Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. Acts chapter 17, and uh, we're going to be reading a few passages of Scripture there in Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, and uh, continuing today our uh, week two of our three-week series on Seeking the Lost. Our series text that I gave you last week is found in Luke 19.10, and it says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Uh, You know, what we believe and what we preach and what we share often in this church is that whatever we see the Father do, that's that's what Jesus did, right? Whatever he saw the Father do, that's what he did. And whatever we see Jesus do, that's what we want to do. And if Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost, then that gives me a pretty good indicator of what I need to be doing in my life. Can somebody say amen? Amen. All right. You might need to poke your neighbor. You might need to shake them a little bit this morning because I know when it's like this outside, it's hard for us to shake it off and uh, to engage. But I'm just going to encourage you this morning to engage with me here for the next few minutes as I preach to you uh, concerning the lost and as we continue uh, this series on seeking the lost. Last week, I, I asked you to join me in praying Uh, for God to speak to all of us concerning His heart for the lost and to let His heart uh, that He has for the lost beat in us. And so many of you, most of you, stood in agreement with that and you pledged uh, your commitment to help me pray and to seek the Lord in this season. And I appreciate that so much. Thank you for your willingness to do that. But I just encourage you to continue on in that vein and allow God to continue to speak to you. We need... Uh, a generation of people, a church full of people that is hungry for what God is hungry for. Jesus came and died so that we could have life and have it to the abundance. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And we need a people that believe in that enough that they exhibit in their actions and their behavior. Amen? Amen. Our focus as we look toward Easter is, uh, and uh, the goals that were set by our leadership team is that we want to see 20 salvations and 400 in service for us as we look towards Easter. That's not that far away. Our strategy for accomplishing uh, that goal is what we call our 641 project. It's our evangelism strategy. And just to uh, re-familiarize you with that again and uh, reacquaint you with that, uh, our strategy for accomplishing that, like I said, is a 641 project. It starts on March 9th and it will end, of course, on Easter. And what we're asking everyone to do is that beginning next week on March 9th, you take the next six weeks and you engage in a process of bringing people to to Christ, bringing them to the church. Uh, The way the strategy works is this, that we ask you on weeks one and two that you take that time to pray and that you identify identify four people that you're going to invite to church, that you ask God to lay those four individuals on your heart, you pray for them, you begin to just prepare a road for them to come to Jesus Christ through your prayers. How many of you believe that when we pray that we've knocked down barriers and we make roads, we make a way for people, and that's what we're asking you to do, to put them uh, in your prayer life and to make sure that we are praying over them and asking God to just soften their hearts and prepare them and to lay them on your heart as well. Weeks three and four is our invest weeks. 
That's weeks that we ask you to take those two weeks, weeks three and four, and to invest in those people by an act of kindness. We believe that also our prayers knock down barriers, but also the love of Christ knocks down barriers too. And when we show them the love of Jesus Christ in a tangible way, in a way that doesn't personally benefit us, but it is freely given... We believe that that just begins to surround them with the presence of Jesus Christ and he begins to knock on the door of their heart. That's what we need to do. And then weeks five and six, we simply ask you to target those people throughout those two weeks and invite them to come to church with you on Easter Sunday. We believe that God will do a great thing through that time and through that service and through your efforts if you, will, if you will engage in this process. So I'm just asking all of you to really engage in this, to, to seek the Lord, let God's heart beat in you so that you will engage in this process as well. Today I want to continue our series from Acts 17, uh, 1 through 6, and I'm going to preach to you a message called The Disruption. The Disruption. You say, Pastor, what in the world kind of message is that? The Disruption. Well... I believe this. I believe that we are meant to be a disruption in the lives of people that are headed in the wrong direction. I believe that as people of God, we ought to disrupt the atmosphere uh, of our friends' lives to some extent. We ought to disrupt our families' lives to some extent. We ought to be putting... the emphasis on Jesus Christ in some way. And for people that are headed to uh, destruction in their lives, people that are moving away from Jesus Christ, it is imperative that we stand between them and hell and we point them to a Savior that loves them and died for them on the cross. We need to be a disruption in somebody's life. And so that's what I want to preach to you this morning. Would you help me pray? Father, thank you so much for your spirit. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your anointing, God. I ask that today you would help me as I communicate this message that you've laid upon my heart. That, Lord, it would move upon the lives of the people, that it would stir them towards you. We ask that, Father, that you would just speak to our hearts today, God, and that you would touch us in fresh and new ways. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week I shared with you from the book of Philemon on the, uh, the, the message that I called the dead. And I, the essence of the message was that Jesus Christ and other Christians have borne the weight of our salvation. And we have a responsibility, a debt, if you will, to bear the weight of their salvation as well. I think if we could really carry that with us, that it would become a driving force in our lives not to let people slip by us and opportunities slip by us, but to capitalize on those moments when people are receptive and ready to receive Jesus, to engage in a process by which we are actively seeking out those that need a Savior and bringing them into a relationship with Jesus. Turn with me, if you will, Acts 17 and 1, and let's read a few passages here uh, together. Now, when they had... Passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there were a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Verse 3. Explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. The first thing I want you to get this morning is that we must know, the first thing we must know is that it is our duty, it is our responsibility that we must preach Jesus Christ. 
We must preach Jesus Christ. You say, well, pastor, I'm not a preacher. That has nothing to do with it. You preach Jesus Christ everywhere you go with your life and with the way that you live out your relationship with Him. We are supposed to be mouthpieces for the Lord, ambassadors of salvation to the world that is lost and dying and going to hell. For many people, they treat this as an option, but however, it is not an option. The mandate from God for us to win the lost is not an option for the Christian to partake in. It's not something that Jesus says in my word. It says, I want you to go and make disciples. And now I'm just going to leave it up to you whether or not you choose to do that or not. It is not an option for the believer. It should be a stable, steady part of our everyday existence as Christians of Jesus Christ. We, he died on the cross for us so that we would have the opportunity to share Him with the world around us. It's not an option. It's not something that we get to choose whether or not we do. But it is something that Jesus has put upon us. It is a weight that we bear as partakers of His salvation and grace in our lives. And it's something that we must do for someone else. Someone bore it for you, now you have to bear it for someone else. Verse 1, he says that they came, Paul they, and his, his companions, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. The first thing that I want us to understand when we talk about preaching Jesus Christ, if you want to, A, under that would be, we must preach Christ to the saved and lost alike. Preaching Christ to the saved, what are you talking about, Pastor? Stay with me and I'm going to tell you. Jews represent the churched in the scripture. Anytime you read about the Jews, you're reading about the churched for our context today. When you read about the Gentiles, you're reading about the lost for our context today. And so here in this, in this passage, we have the Jews represent the church, the Gentiles represent the unchurched. Understand, just because you're churched doesn't mean you're saved. And just because you're unchurched doesn't mean you're lost. I'm going to say that again. Understand, just because you're churched doesn't mean you're saved. And just because you're unchurched doesn't mean you're lost. I would submit to you this morning that the churches in America are filled with people who are well-churched but are unsaved. That are not living out the life that Jesus died to give them. That are not taking upon themselves the weight and the, and, and the, uh, the, the, uh, the mandate of carrying the cross with them in their daily lives. I believe the churches are filled with people that are going to be under uh, surprise when, when Jesus returns. They're going to find out that they had not lived their lives as though they had supposed. And I'm sure that when Paul arrived here at this church, this synagogue of the Jews, that it primarily contained only church people. Paul comes into the synagogue and he begins to create some disruptions. He first creates a disruption by bringing lost people into the church. Now, I've been pastoring and uh, in full-time ministry 18, 20 years. I don't know. I lose track. It doesn't matter after you reach a certain point. It's just another year. But we've been doing this for a while. And one of the biggest things that causes more stir in a church uh, full of church people is when you start bringing lost people into the doors. 
When lost people start coming in, it starts to stir up and mess up the chemistry that has crystallized in the church over a long period of time. And people start feeling uncomfortable. Why is that guy coming to this church? He's not a Christian. Absolutely. That's exactly why he's coming to this church. I've got news for anybody sitting on the pew today that Jesus died for you the same way that he died for everybody else in this world. He shed his blood for you, but he also shed it for every sinner that has yet to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ in their lives. Paul brings Gentiles into the building and immediately there is a disruption of the norm. There is a stirring now in the church because these people that don't understand our customs, they don't understand our way of doing things, they don't know how to speak, they don't know how to act, they don't know what to do, and now they're coming into this church and God is moving in the house. God is looking for some people that will be all right with a little disruption in their life from time to time. We are so ingrained with the mentality that we want to order our lives and we don't want anything disrupting it. We don't want anything messing it up. But a lot of us need just a good disruption to stir us up and to make sure that we're still alive and there's still a heart beating inside of us. Amen. He creates disruption also in the lives of the Jews by preaching Jesus Christ. Wow, that's not what we've come to understand previously that's not what we've always known that's not what we've always experienced I can tell you I couldn't count on my hand I couldn't count on everybody's hand in this building how many times in my ministry life that people have come to me over the years and said that's not the way we do it and I have no doubt that that started long before me, started long before the church in America. It started in Paul's day. I can imagine the after-service conversations that Paul had with the Jewish people as they were leaving the synagogue. That's not the way we do it. When you start preaching Jesus Christ and you start stirring up his life in a church, you can expect there to be resistance in that. But that's okay. I'll take his life over whatever life exists any time of the day. I want what Jesus is doing. I want to be a part of his actions in this world. I want to be a part of his current activity. I don't want a dead, dry religion. I want something that is real and alive and moving and changing lives. I'm just going to preach all by myself this morning. Their well-defined religion is disrupted when he begins to preach Jesus Christ and a church alive with his presence. Listen, church, this morning, dead things are always easier to take care of. <laughs> Ain't it true? I mean, you don't even have to water a dead plant. It just does the same thing whether you water it or not. Dead things are just easier to take care of. But a church that's alive requires some effort, it requires energy, it requires a constant transformation and change going on in my life. I have to be constantly adapting to the new uh, environment that is being created by life being produced. But I would choose that over dead things any day. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, didn't he? He said, if you're going to be a part of what I'm doing, then come and go with me and let's, let's keep the, the life of Christ moving in his church. He creates a disruption in the lives of the Gentiles by bringing them to a decision point concerning their lives. 
And I just believe this. You know, I, I was glad to hear this. We, you know, one of the things that has uh, troubled me a, as a church is that, you know, when I, when I preach and I pour myself out in the service, a lot of times I don't get the response. Pastors never get the response they want. You know that? Because the response a pastor wants is every single person on their face and, and crying and just repenting and just, that's what we want. That's what I visualize every week. Well, rarely does that ever happen. So I'm always disappointed at the altar call that I give. And one of the things that, that has troubled me is, is, you know, what is it going to take to wake people up and to shake them when they know that they're not living right and they need an experience with Jesus Christ? And I was thankful that in our leadership meeting as we kind of talked about some of these things, Lori said, it's because you're preaching true salvation. And you're not just giving some watered-down version of it that it's an acceptance, it's a just all come, and there's no requirements involved in that. You teach about how if we're going to live for Christ, we've got to lay our lives down in the process, and not everybody wants to buy into that. It's true. But I'm not going to water down what I believe Jesus would say if he was here. And that is, if you want to follow me and you're going to be mine, then you've got to take up your cross... And you've got to come after me. You've got to lay some things down in your life. And so we may not have the numbers I want, but the real change and transformation is evident in people's lives, and that's what we want to see. So he creates a disruption in the lives of these Gentiles, these unchurched, these heathens. As they come in, he's going out into the street corners. He's going out in the marketplaces and he's bringing people in. And he's telling them about a Savior who died for them and loves them. And they're coming into the church and he's bringing them to a point where they have to make a choice. It is my desire every week that I bring you to a place where you are forced to make a choice. Yes, I will go or no, I will not go. But you say it loud and clear, even though you may not utter it with your mouth, you speak volumes with your heart, and your Lord hears everything that you say with your heart. So he creates disruption in the Jews, the church people. He creates disruption in the lives of the Gentiles, the unchurched, pushing chaos into this place to create an impetus for change. Verse 2 says, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them. We must preach Christ and we must preach, preach Christ as a part of our daily lives. We have to preach Christ as a part of our daily lives. It says, as Paul went in, as was his custom. This was a normal part of Paul's daily life. It was a normal part of his daily routine. He would go in and he would find people that needed Jesus and he would share Christ with them. We ought to be sharing Jesus not only on Sundays and inviting people to Sunday church, but we ought to be sharing Jesus as a normal part of our lives, as a normal part of our routine. This is God's mandate for us. So we must preach Christ with, as a part of our daily comings and goings. Verse 3 goes on to say, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Explaining and demonstrating we must preach Christ and we must preach him in both word and action. In both word and action. Can I say to you today that it's not enough 
for you to share Jesus Christ with your mouth and not live Jesus Christ with your actions. And it's not enough for you to only live Jesus Christ with your actions and never speak about Him with your mouth. That it requires both for us to do what God is asking us to do. We need to be an example of, a, uh, of the power of a changed life and that is being demonstrating in the life that we live out before us, living the truth that we've come to know and understand. Explaining and sharing that truth vocally and verbally with the world around us. Acts 17 and 4 as we move forward. It says, And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. The second thing that we must do First is we must preach Christ. The second thing we must do is we must have realistic expectations. You must have realistic expectations. We are engaging in a strategy of evangelism and I don't want you to go into this with some false idea of what will happen. You have to have realistic expectations in the process. Verse 4 says, And some of them, some of them were persuaded. He's speaking of both Greeks and Jews because it says later, but the Jews who were not persuaded, indicating that some of them actually were persuaded. The first expectation is that we should expect some to come to Christ. If you never expect anybody to come to Christ through your actions, guess what? You will get exactly what you expect. Because if there's not a driving force of motivation to go out and that motivation is created by an expectation that I will see fruits from my efforts, then we won't do anything. I believe this. I just believe that that there's authority, that there's anointing in my hands and in my mouth, and that when I speak, things change. I believe that when I go into an environment that the power of Jesus Christ resting in me begins to change the environment. As his children, I challenge you to do the same and believe that you carry in you the very nature and body of Jesus Christ. And everywhere you go, he goes with you. Everywhere you step, his footsteps with you. Everywhere you lay your hands, he lays his hand with you. And everything you speak, he speaks with you. There's power in understanding that. And it builds in us an expectation of results. I expect to see some fruits from my efforts. We should expect some people to be persuaded. Listen, if you go into this evangelism strategy with no expectations of getting anybody, guess what? You're not going to get anybody. But if you go into it and you say, I'm going to get somebody out of this deal. I'm going to pray for somebody. I'm going to invest in somebody. I'm going to identify I'm going to bring somebody to the house of God with me. If I have to drag them in here, I'm getting somebody. Key for some to accept is tied to our determination to persuade them. The passion in your life is what is so catching to people. 
It's so uh, intoxicating and it draws them to you. But if there is no passion, then why would I want what you got? Amen. We can't give up on people just because they reject us initially. You understand that. It says Paul reasoned with them for three weeks. But there was an ongoing strategy for winning the lost and building the church long beyond the three weeks. Paul was an apostle. He established people in that community to continue the process after he left. We are a people that have been sent here by God, all of us. We are established here to continue a process of reaching this city and region for Jesus Christ. And we will continue that process. We are a people that have a heart for the lost. You're not persuading me. There's going to be times when people don't take what we're offering initially, but I'm challenging you to stay with it and believe that it just takes some time for things to begin to break down walls and God to speak to them. If I expect to reach some, that it helps me stay with the process. He uses the word here, persuade. Jesus echoes this sentiment in Luke 14, 23, when he says, Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. The word compel means to necessitate. So out of necessity, we are creating an opportunity for them. What does necessitate mean? It means out of, out of a necessity, out of a need, we create we look for an opportunity. We're providing a means by which they are able to get what they need. And it speaks of compelling, drawing them, persuading them with intensity. I think about, I probably shouldn't even say this in church. April's scared now, I promise you, sitting on the front row. But there's a great clip from a show called Tommy Boy. And he's learning to sell oil filters and he has no sales experience whatsoever and for about the first six or seven places that he goes in as soon as they say no he's like okie dokie and he locks out the door and I just have this image of a lot of us in church that when we're trying to win people to the lost it's the first rejection it's like okay compel them to come in persuade them if their life is working out so great then leave them alone. But if they're looking for some answers, praise Jesus that we've been given the answer, that we have received the answer, and that we live the truth of the answer out every single day of our lives. Amen. Now don't go out of here and tell people that I use Tommy Boy to preach a message to you. <laughs> Acts 17.5 It says, But the Jews who were not persuaded. Staying in expectation, in order to keep our expectations realistic, is understand that, yes, some will be persuaded, but there will be some that won't be. Not everybody is going to come to Christ. And if you can't get thick enough skin to handle rejection along the way, you're never going to be successful at reaching people for God. You're never going to be. Not everyone will accept Christ. The Bible is very clear about this. In Matthew 7, 13 it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go out by it. 
Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. So this scripture indicates to us that there's going to be a number of people who reject Jesus, who reject His message. Can I just say to you that this is what I believe, that in the church every single Sunday, even though they're sitting there as Christians in the pew, that there are people that reject the message of Jesus Christ on a regular basis. They don't want to hear the truth of God's Word because it dis- disrupts their understanding and what they've always known. And because of it, they reject a God on the move that His life is trying to be transformed into the church and inputted into the church. Let's not be that. It is disappointing and discouraging when expectations go unmet. And so that's why I want you to understand that part of the process of seeking the lost means that some will not accept what you have to say. Shake off rejection. Seek someone out who wants to be found because there are people out there that are hungry, that are desperate, and they are looking for Jesus Christ. And those are the ones that God has sent us to. Verse 5 goes on to say, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all of the city in an uproar. That is a classic move. We don't like what Paul's doing. He's taking over our church. He's bringing in all these heathens. They're getting saved. It just irritates me to death. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and I'm going to find some evil people to align myself with and stir the whole thing up. And so here's what I want you to understand is that you have to expect some resistance. You have to expect some resistance when you're doing what God's asking you to do. If you don't have resistance in your life from the enemy at some level, that may be a pretty good indicator that you're not doing anything that impacts darkness with the light of Christ. Anytime you do the work of the kingdom, you will get resistance. Notice that it was the Jews that incited the riot. Sometimes the greatest resistance you will get is from people who ought to know better. Pastor loves y'all this morning. I promise I do. But this is so true that most of the time the resistance you get, the most intense resistance you'll receive, the most audacious challenge to who you are in Christ Jesus and your purpose in Him will come from people who ought to know better. You don't believe me? Ask Abel. He met resistance by who? By Cain, who ought to know better. Cain wanted to give a half-hearted offering to the Lord. And because Abel gave the very best that he had to offer, what did he do? Instead of doing what was right, repenting and making it right and moving forward in his own life, he rather went and killed the one who was doing what he was supposed to be doing. And although you may not murder someone physically... You might ought to be careful that you don't murder them with your mouth and with your actions. I've gotten, I've told you this before and it's the truth. I've gotten more resistance from my family doing ministry than I have anybody else. They've fought me all along the way. And and they love me. And they'll tell you today that they're thrilled to death that I'm a preacher in the pulpit. 
But to this day, we still fight resistance from the way and from the what and from the how invested we are in our lives in this process. You can expect the same. Your calling from God, the mandate that we've all received from God is between you and your Lord. And it's nice to have people come alongside you that will support you, but you just have to be okay from time to time to walk this thing alone and to do it because you know you're supposed to and not because everybody's on board with it. Amen. Be strong. Be courageous. Know that God will bring you through any opposition and you'll be better for it on the other side of it. God will always bring you through whatever opposition you face and you're going to be better on the other side of it. Praise the Lord. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We'd love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burke Burnett, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Till I found myself face down on your shore. You say, come to me.